It's Friday night, everybody. You know what that means. It's Friday night. Let's have some fun. Let's get together and play a ton. I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're... Friday Night Games! And uh, today we have a very special guest, Mr. Jim Fitzpatrick, who created the game uh, Mission to Planet Hex, and he's here to tell us about it, talk about it. So welcome, Jim. Oh, it's great to be here. We're excited to have you here. Greetings, Space Cadets. (laughs) You know, I will say that I love that you call people that play your game Space Cadets. It's, it's a little bit of a uh, welcome thing and a little bit of sort of, you know, yeah. me, me getting at people. <laughs> welcome, <very> newbies. <laughs> <laughs> on today's show, we're going to talk about a game that is going to be on Kickstarter July 29th, 2020, which is Mission to Planet Hex by Jim Fitzpatrick. Jim will be giving us an overview of his game and a little bit of the mechanics. We're going to discuss a little bit about our experience playing it. Afterwards, we're going to barrage Jim with questions related to the game himself and board games in general. And uh, we might geek out about something. Because I know, I know that Jim likes a certain thing that I like. So we will, we will geek out about it, I'm sure. Ooh, can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> I'm intrigued. So big welcome to everybody. We actually got to work with Jim back at PAX South, demoing your game. A very large amount of times. <laughs> it was a record for me too. <laughs> Although you you did demo the game at PAX Unplugged or the, the in November, right before that. Yes. Well, and so you did get to see then. I mean, PAX South was like the rock concert version of demoing at a convention. Unplugged was a little more sedate. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that, and 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 we had a lot of fun at PAX South too because we did we did share a hotel room. We did get to walk. Uh, 40, 40 miles to a bar to yeah. drink a beer. <laughs> it was the kind of adventure that every convention should be. <laughs> we we saw all the sights of San Antonio that day, too, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I went to the Alamo. It was good. <laughs> oh, yeah, all our flights were late. Not mine. <laughs> oh, John was on time. John, I was on time. John, I was on time, and uh, I think you guys all showed up at like one or two in the morning, and I got there yeah. maybe maybe six o'clock in the evening. I met John for the first time at three a.m. <laughs> in whatever you were wearing uh, while you were sleeping. <laughs> Me too, probably. actually. John probably came. Probably nothing. <laughs> When I came in, John gave me a big hug. Wait, you weren't wearing anything when uh, he gave me a big hug? I don't really remember. I just looked and saw vague shadows, and I said, this bed looks less empty, or most more empty, so I'm going to stop here. Well, well, you had the Borg in your bed, so you knew you knew which one. Uh... Yes. Zach, Zach, who is also demoing with us, was wearing his headphones and headset, and he doesn't sleep. Flashing light. <laughs> He also doesn't sleep apparently, so I mean, like it all, yes. <laughs> it all made sense. That's why I have to hand it to you all for doing what you did on what approximately three hours of sleep. Well done. <laughs> hey, it was a great time, great learning experience. Definitely, our experiences hanging out with you and Zach was awesome too. So I'm glad we got to do that. Yeah, I think the the worst part about PAX was when we did the um, tabletop library and. Matt and I picked like the hardest games to play and I'm just sitting there like 
falling asleep at the table. Well, let me let me rephrase <laughs> that. Let me rephrase that. You actually fell asleep. Yeah, yeah, I actually did. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in the middle of it. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like oh, he's sleeping. <laughs> we should, I guess we should just go to bed. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I never had coffee, and you got both of you are like, "Hey, you should drink this coffee," and I'm like, "You know what? I really should drink this coffee because I'm falling asleep." That <laughs> was wide awake. <laughs> Let me I, I tell was you. enjoying seeing how everyone coped in their own individual way with lack of sleep and the monster crowd that we had to deal with. Oh, um, you, you, you did a wonderful job. <laughs> coffee you. or no coffee? I'm used to having no sleep. I've got two kids. <laughs> truth truth all right jim give us a pitch about your game you know I, I before i do i'm just going to say i would have been so much better at this if i had been going to live conventions like i had planned <laughs> oh. <laughs> i really lost my knack here but i'll do my best it is basically a light to medium i call it a gateway game because that's what other people were starting to call it to me it is it, it's a game that feeds my uh, inner seventh grader it's meant to get your friends who only play party games into something a little more complicated that won't frighten them away from tabletop forever and it's a nice break if you like playing those hardcore games that last for four hours this is not going to last for four hours it's just a little bit of fun it is a retro style space adventure board and card game in one and the object of the game is to complete your mission by filling out your mission file which is like a scorecard and you put other cards from the game around it the cards in the game are hexagonally shaped and you use them to both build the game board and you use them as uh, cards in your hand. There are two types of cards. The board is made out of maps cards, which are space and planets. And then event cards, which are in your hand, affect the game in crazy ways and fun ways, hopefully. It's, uh, like I said, it's for ages 10 and up, two to four players. The fun in the game is how the cards combine. Matt, you were saying earlier how you like Magic the Gathering. I have a Magic and a Dungeons and Dragons background, mostly. So card combinations is nothing new to people who play collectible card games. It, ha it has a lot of similarity with uh, collectible card games and living card games. Topic from the previous show. Um, <laughs> Jim is also Jim is also an avid listener to us, so thank you for support. Thank you for the support. We do appreciate well, it's, it. It's been wonderful, you know, meeting you and getting together at uh, Pack South, and now we have this strange relationship based on meeting only once or twice in person. But it's a pleasure for me to be here. And like I said, the game is sort of a middle of the road game and i'm trying to get it out to kickstarter and out to some more people so that's my aim nice I, I so personally um i thought it was really fun i taught it many times but it really only takes like 15 minutes to teach and it's about 15 minutes per player it could go slightly longer but that's that's the general idea i had teaching it so many times and i noticed the sweet spot was three players whenever there was three players I saw you mention that somewhere, and I thought, oh, I, I want to hear more about that. That's interesting. <laughs> it, it just seemed like, like just from my the interactions between the players, I noticed that with, with three, it seemed like there was just enough. With four, it's it always seemed like one person was kind of sitting around a little bit more. Okay. With two, it, I don't know, two, two felt okay, it, but it may have gone too quick. And then we actually yes. played it with five, which is not meant for five. But <laughs> we played it with five. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and yeah. you know what else is interesting is I know that the version that you have doesn't have all the cards in the set in it. Uh, so it, I'm wondering how how the game is skewed dynamically missing certain cards. I don't know which ones you're missing. <laughs> Either do we. I just gave you everything I had. <laughs> <laughs> just one point, Mike Novielli, one of the other guys in our Borgen group, he played, I forget what card he played, 
but it made Bill and I basically battle for our data cubes down to zero. Uh, yes, an intergalactic duel to the death. Yes, Don't forge your data. <laughs> yeah, but we we both did like two big data scores, and we had to we had to battle it out, and that that ended that game real quick. It did, yeah, because yeah, because the two of you were about to win, right. if I remember correctly, and then and then Novi played. We call him Novi. Novi played that card, and basically end of the game. But that was really cool, and and that was a very that's a take that's a take that mechanism that I feel like you have a lot of those in the deck, which which make the game kind of accessible and accessible in a way of like if someone feels like they're winning or they're too they're too far ahead, those cards are there and can actually even out the game. Right. Yes, and, and depending upon who's talking, uh, I've had compliments about that, and some people are not so happy about that. So I guess it depends <laughs> upon you know, your approach to playing games. Uh, but you're never uh, never count yourself out uh, playing Mission to Planet Hex. Uh, things could change in an instant. And what you both learned that day is maybe hanging on to a ton of data is not such a good idea. Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I think we played two games or something. And the first game, someone won by hanging on to a lot of data, and then that card came up. So every game's. You know, one thing I must say, every game is totally different. Well, and that's that's also what we're going for. Also, thematically, if you have to hang on to a lot of data or take another risk for some reason in the game, like you you want to hang on to the hand that you have for some reason. Uh, I've tried to design risk in because you are a space cadet. You know, the, the image that comes to mind is Captain Kirk or fill-in-the-blank any captain from a starship in a sci-fi movie or TV show where they are constantly taking risks and not sure of the outcome. You know, I, you try to create those wow moments as a game designer where you're either going to be really psyched that you made it or eh, you didn't make it. And maybe next time or maybe somebody else sees their opportunity when you fail. Again, randomness is something that it, it's an enemy or a friend, depending upon what your approach to playing games is. <laughs> but your decisions control the, the, the flow of the game. That's that's without question. So this is this is your first Kickstarter, right? It is. And, but this is not the first time you produce this game. No, th this game has a very strange history. And it's funny when I when you were asking me if I had a first Kickstarter because the Kickstarter says version 2.0. The game has a long and interesting history. And I think it's based on the fact that I am a first-time game designer. This, this was my first game. And I wasn't really sure that I was going to do the Kickstarter and I was that I was going to do the things that I'm doing now. I discovered the Game Crafter which makes lovely prototypes. And I uploaded my images that I had drawn myself and I made this game and suddenly people were playing it. And I thought, I, I made a promise that as long as people were playing it, I would pursue it. And if people were bored with it and did not show interest, I would do something else. And it just kind of snowballed. And the more it did, the more I changed what the path I was taking was going to be. And at some point, in the middle of last year, I said, you know what, if you're going to do this, do this, because the things that people are not liking about it, for instance, the art, etc., are things that you can change easily and keep the heart and soul of the game. So I did a leap into the mindset that we were going to kickstart it and make it look professional, etc. And one of the main things that I, I really like was the fact that the presentation was is amazing. Like your art now is amazing. And I've also seen your art previously because you you brought a couple of games to pack yes with you. it's really fun to compare and contrast yeah and it was <laughs> actually one of the one of the cool things to be was just actually looking at the old art and being like you know what this isn't that bad like i know i know you're like you're like i moved it was on all I got better. on ms paint and hey. uh, it has its fans <laughs> but 
I, I'm trying to get a higher percentage of fans than <laughs> the fans that that art had. <laughs> and my advice to new game designers is don't don't make your first game a game that needs a hundred pieces of art because that's not that cost effective. Especially when you're doing uh, <laughs> MS Paint, MS Paint every pixel <laughs> slowly uh, well, What's funny is it has oh. this basic shape library, so oh. uh, the art in the first edition had this tonal similarity where you understood the imagery which is important in the game because a lot of it is visual where you understood oh well that shape and that arrangement has something to do with whatever a planet or something like that you know but working with an artist and collaborating uh, i endorsed both of those things one my artist was a good choice to make his name's mark gagne and he became engaged in the game very quickly so he's played it uh, he has not played it but what, what i mean by engaged in the game is i think you could hire an artist who just draws pictures right he sort of has a quirky sense of humor and uh, has a little bit of a, a dark sense of humor too which is what i have if you look past the cute art there are things to find and we just sort of came together and he will take and i said i want to create a coherent universe and mythology here so could you add this in could you make this happening you know and so it's all fitting together nicely and he will he has started to take the initiative to do things on his own and say i thought this would be a good idea so it really is a collaboration and some of the better ideas particularly design elements the cards and the positioning of icons etc a lot of that is attributable to the fact that he I, I got mark on board and if you think the art for the base set is great we have a expansion in the works and the art is even better it's wow. it's gorgeous well, i'm looking forward to that. I can't say enough. John, what about you? What were your thoughts on the game? You know, I agree with you. That three-player is a really good sweet spot, especially being able to help Jim out at PAX. I, I realized, like, the amount of people we were showing the game to was three people, at least in my experience. But I think my favorite part about the game is just no, no game is the same. And... I really like the nods to the sci-fi fandom that uh, Jim put in there. So I know you're a big Whovian. Oh yes. And uh, so it's nice to that, see that nice to see some motivation. That, that it was originally going to have a time travel element, but it's already plenty busy without a time travel element. <laughs> right, right. Slimming down the game is was a task. Sorry, does does Whovian? I'm not I'm not a Whovian. Is Whovian refer to Doctor Who? Is uh, that what it is? It's a, like a Doctor Who fan. Okay, yeah. okay. Thank what you we for call ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite part of being at PAX was at one point there was a group of people that Matt taught on Friday came back to the table on Saturday and taught their friends how to play the game. I would like to think it's because I'm an amazing teacher. <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, it's it's because the game plays really well, and it's very easy to teach. And because it's so easy to teach, it's very accessible, so it brings people back. And honestly, a lot of the feedback we got from being there, I would say 95, 90 to 95% of the people who played it were like, can I buy this right now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which I got says, a little bit of that too, and that always makes you... It always makes you worry that they won't still be there six months later when you launch your Kickstarter. But we sent we sent out uh, we sent out a message to everyone that we got on our list that day, and fingers crossed. Awesome, nice. One of my I, I consider it the highest praise, and and the, my goal when people come back to play again at the same event. Who could hope for more than that? I mean, because you're hoping that they like it if they played it once. You know, right. um, I know I've I know I've been complimentary to people whether I've liked something or not games or whatever but if they come back you know that's kind of a 
it's kind of a concrete uh, affirmation that yeah they did like it they liked it a lot well well if i have anything to say about it you know we played it for eight hours a day for two days straight <laughs> and we didn't get sick of it so i don't know if, if that says anything about your game people ask me after three years if i'm sick of it i said well four days in a row eight hours a day yeah <laughs> come back to it i told you earlier i have a, a theatrical background and one of the things they always say in theater is you may be tired of the show but the audience has is seeing it for the first time tonight right right so that applies to this situation where they're looking at it especially if they're enjoying it if you're if you're tired of playing it at that convention number one you're, you're not trying to you're not going to show that and number two it's very easy to get that energy from a new player or a player who's excited about it and i think that's true with with any game whether it's a game that you've played before or not once yeah. other people are energized you can let it in and and, and take it on yourself yeah if you if you see people getting excited, then you're going to get excited, right? If someone's being really down about it, like like if we were teaching it, we're just like, oh, this game is the worst. <laughs> well, They're not going to be, they might even, they might walk away. Right? And I think what was really cool too was like, play, I played a game where I felt like the people I was playing with weren't into it. Yeah. And then, so I was like trying to get, like nudge them along a little bit and be like, yes. do this. But they were actually like really, really into it. But they were just being really quiet the entire time we were playing. <laughs> well, and I always say, you get every kind of audience and it's your job to try and turn them around to get them engaged it's not always going to be possible but it's your job to try if you're teaching or you've designed it or whatever and you know you won't always be successful either but you know it's 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 very it's very unusual to to be on stage all the time i'm going to use a lot of theatrical terms but that's what you are when you go to a convention and that's another thing i would tell new designers is get out there and show it to people that you don't know it's very right. safe to show it to your family and your friends and people that you know love you. <laughs> but strangers, especially children, will be very, very honest with you and take their feedback on board. Yeah, get better from it, right? All right, Jim, uh, we're going to get into some questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> that you were definitely not prepared for or have seen. All right, bring it. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. We <laughs> we wouldn't do that. Improv theater. <laughs> <laughs> what mechanic did you really focus on while creating this game? I was I'm part of several forums on Facebook, and somebody asked something similar to this. They were saying, you know, is was theme the important thing? You know, did theme come first when it comes to design? The thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to have a game that where you travel through the universe. So I thought, how how do I do this you know so it, the game whoa, whoa, hold started... on, hold on. i'm gonna go deeper i'm gonna go deeper okay why, why did you want to make a game that like traveling through the universe like you obviously had inspirations well again is this know, like a, is this like a deep dream i'm going psychological here <laughs> well I, I would like to travel a lot more than i do so there's okay. that but getting back to doctor who i've been a fan since the 70s okay y'all remember the 70s and uh, <laughs> the, es the essence of the show is the doctor arrives somewhere at the beginning of the episode of the series or whatever, and then goes somewhere else next week or next month or whatever. So it was just that element of traveling through the universe. And that's that's a theme that you see so many places. I mean, think of Star Wars, where you go to so many different worlds. Star Trek was about dis discovering new worlds. So it was just... 
I, I sat down and I said, I, how, how can we work this? I'd love a board with planets and stuff. And so once I started to think about it, how to make it into reality, I just love hexes too. Like the, that's another Doctor Who reference, the console of the TARDIS is a hex. So oh, there's really? a lot of hexing. Yeah. Really? Coming into I, my didn't, I didn't know that. You're blowing my oh, mind yes. right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and then some of the new designs, there are hexes in the walls. So that's that oh. image. Plus six is a number you can do a lot with. So I thought I can marry these themes together. For example, the very few times somebody said, well, you know, you could do this without dice. I'm like, yeah, but the sixth theme, the sixth theme is like, the the force is strong with the sixth theme in this game. So once I worked that out, then I thought, well, how do you travel through space and what do you do? And then I said, well, if I make all of the pieces in the game, these hex cards, the scorecard, the cards in your hand, the tiles on the board, then you only have one kind of component with multiple abilities. And so the events sort of came out of, what can I do when I'm in space, traveling through space and planets? One of the first concepts, the idea of planets can't be next to each other, that was one of the earliest concepts. I said, okay, we're going to have planets in space, and space is going to be the majority because planets can't be next to each other, so you need a few more space to keep it all you know, working. And balance was a huge part of design and playtesting because got it wrong a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's cool because like the amount of cards you have in that game and how well balanced it is must have taken a long time. How many how many cards are in there? There are 120 cards in the deck and I had a fantastic formula, which I forget, but I, I was thinking it also has six. <laughs> it's a factor of six well, and right? technically it's 120 but when you pull the mission files out it's 115 okay so that's where it all falls down man um but i was trying to help you there four players need 18 data so if you had planets that you could only get one off of you would need the initial hand of six cards plus 18 turns so that's 24 cards that you're going to go through per player see it's a crazy formula <laughs> No, it's cool. The game originally had 150 cards in the deck, and I reduced it for several reasons. Um, Advice of other designers that I talked to, you know, how much is too much? How much could I make on the Game Crafter? It's silly things like they print cards in 12s, so I made a multiple of 12s. And I got advice, for for instance, now having seen the game intimately, it's really great to talk to you guys because where you know it, I can talk specifically Whereas if you didn't, I just have to talk in generalities. You know that spaces repeat, but the planets are all unique. Right. And I had a designer early on say the, the planets should be a destination, whereas the space should be more incidental. You know, you should be going to the planets and, and, and creating a hierarchy of the map hexes where the planets are slightly more important. They, they do slightly cooler stuff. So I tried to think along those lines. But, uh, you know, so there's a, there's a situation where I had the concept and then somebody else's advice helped me to make it more interesting. There's a lot of elements to this because it's been in development so long and because I've showed it to so many people. I have played the game literally thousands of times. Not, no joke. <laughs> well, it's it's still good after a thousand times. I could tell you that much. Well, hopefully it's better. Yeah. <laughs> that was the idea. <laughs> Although sometimes you don't plan to, to develop as long as, as as you end up doing, you know, life interferes. I, I had intended to do a lot of this sooner, but, you know, sometimes you have to put it aside and come back to it. That's right. Absolutely. 
Do you have any uh, tips for first-time game developers? Oh, well, I think I mentioned a couple of them, but let me see. I did not know what I was doing at all when I started to do this. I'm not also going... I'm also not going to say I know everything about it now. I would say the most important thing is do it. I see a lot of people getting on forums saying, do you think I should design a game? Yes. Yes, you should. The other thing that you need to do is, like I said, get it out in front of people who are not going to be nice to you. And I don't mean they're going to be mean to you. I'm just saying it's not built in because they're not related. They're not your friends. You need blind play testers and, and people who are absolutely looking at the game and not at you. Another piece of advice, when I started out, I found out I'm really terrible at taking critique. <laughs> so I, I would That's okay. Do, Boston has a lot of gamers and game designers. The Game Makers Guild of Boston was instrumental in getting me started. And I invented this cool game that I thought was completely done, and I brought it in front of them, and they very politely and firmly, you know, tore it to shreds the first night. And I took the hour of driving home to sulk a little bit and <laughs> uh, try to figure out what had just happened to me. And what had happened to me is I had some real critique that was helpful that I had to spend time filtering. So, you know, if, you, if your ego is in the way, get it out of the way, because if you're really serious about this, you have to think about it professionally and you have to listen to some of the advice that you're given. Not all of it's good. I had a lot of people who told me it should be a different game and I disagreed with them. You also have to understand that people are coming to game design uh, from different angles and it's not necessarily the same angle that you are. I had a lot of people snap out of trying to give me certain kinds of advice when they realized I was trying to create a particular kind of game as opposed to trying to get a game that a publisher would pick up or trying to get a game that would adhere to trends or something like that. I just have a game concept and I'm making the game that's in my head and that's sort of where I'm personally coming from. So figure out what your motivation is and then you can sort of find your path from that. But so that's my advice for new game designers. Get out there, do it, get critiqued, keep doing it. Yeah, no, I, I think human nature-wise, no one likes to be critiqued, right? So that's one of the hardest things to get through. So if you get through that... I was that, amazed how hard it was. And, I, you know, I work in theater where you also get critiqued. Right. I was going to say, like, <laughs> did that carry over at all for you? Like, I think there are a lot of similarities. I, well, I think in the middle of a show, people don't go, you stink. <laughs> Sometimes they do. You, you'd be surprised, yeah. <laughs> I literally got booed off stage one time. <laughs> at least the game designers won't put it in writing like a theater critic i've oh. had some horrible things said about me <laughs> in writing but uh you know time passes but yeah no t take it on board I i've never had i have to say i've never had a game designer or a gamer just be really mean to me i've met people that didn't like the game you know sometimes it's clear from the look on their face sometimes you can't tell but people who are giving you honest critiques don't be mad at them don't be upset with them. Take a moment, take 24 hours before you respond and figure out what it is that they were trying to say to you and, and if it was useful. Right. I think like we talk about ego quite a bit on our show. Yeah, I feel like we're like a psychology <laughs> podcast. I don't even know if we talk about board games, really, yeah. to be honest with you. Well, but it's hard. It is hard. Yeah. And I know like ego can go both ways, right? So you have like the fear of failure and you also have the fear of success because when you know when you're successful, you have to like constantly have that image going forward. And when you take that critique or that criticism and roll and, you know, do what you said, take that time, really process what being said and decide if that is constructive and yes. will it benefit your project, I think is really important. 
And and I like how you you also said like you can't take what everyone says and do what everyone says because then it's no longer your game, right? You right. And it's sure. true. Like you t- people people will offer suggestions, but they don't know what's in your mind. And that's and that's for you're totally right. That's for you to filter out and, and to pick to choose the things that are actually meaningful and then learn yes. from them. And then the other ones are just like, well, they don't understand the the reasoning why I'm going to that. And at some point, you're gonna have to be like, this is the game. Because yes. even in your head, like yes. you know, you're developing it, and we you said that you've been changing it for for a long time now. Sure. If you're always looking at your game and thinking of things to change, then you're always going to be changing your game, right? So at some point, you're going to be like, this is it. This is the game. It's working. And exactly. Then- I would say have a concept. Know your concept and know your audience and stick, stick to those. Right. Um, somebody posted a list of um, things you should do as a game designer. I forget. It was on Board Game Geek. And number 40 was don't. Don't publish your game until it's ready. Be sure that it's ready. And then 41 was, publish your game already. What are you for? <laughs> that's a good tip. Because <laughs> the game that's not out there being played by somebody isn't a game. It's an idea. Right. right, you know? right. So what? So on that note, what advice would you give the you that started out? <laughs> <laughs> See how I changed that one? Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, hurry up. <laughs> I I, uh, I think I let this go on a little bit longer than I should have. And like I said, some, some of that was out of my control. And some of that was very much under my control. The drawbacks were, you know, I think, for example, if I had put off the Kickstarter till next year because of the pandemic, I, I just, I, I think I couldn't do this anymore. It's time for something new. I, it's not that I dislike the game. It's just, you know, I think things have a, a natural life and now is the time to be doing this. The other thing I would say is there was some benefit to showing it to so many people because I was making constructive changes even at PAX South. Very small at this point, mm-hmm. but significant. The other thing is, is you know, make, make the decision to go big. You know what? There's no reason to hold back. If you've got a concept that's working and you've got a game that's working, I think you can tell within a year. You know, so don't, there's no need to take four years if, you know, you know do the Kickstarter, find the artist, make a plan. Or if you're not sure how to do that, find the people that do. You know, it's wonderful to talk to other people who've had successes. I always bring them up because they're like my, my buddies and my poster children, but the Fire Tower people, Runaway oh, Parade God. Games. They, I got into my first showcase in Boston and they were through the curtain behind me. And I was aware of them because they were setting up their um, Fire Tower and they, they were doing this paper mache, not paper mache, um, what do you call it? I don't know, fancy fire, paper fire. And I was just like, what, what are they doing? <laughs> so I saw their whole journey. And, you know, we sort of started in the same place, but I sort of, I'm like the, I'm like the tortoise, you know? I, I feel like now I'm a couple of years behind them. But, you know, the dynamics are different. Like I said, our lives are different. They're a two-person team. They're very motivated. Right. And absolutely, the success they've had is due to their hard work. I can't say enough good things about them. And they will, they're very helpful in that they'll talk to me and I've talked to other game designers about what they did, their concerns. And I thought, if you'd been doing this earlier, my timeline might've been a little bit shorter. But you know, we, we are where we are. Can't change it now. Happy about it. Exactly. Yeah, no regrets. It's, it's a journey. It's a journey, right? It's yeah. everyone's on their own journey and you're gonna go at your own pace as long as you're learning and, and having fun. And that's that's the most important part, right? So Jim, I know you, we talked a little bit about like Star Trek and Doctor Who and Star Wars having played into you know the inspiration for the game. Is there any 
other things that inspired you to create this game, a board game or other movies or anything like that? The thing that triggered me is, it's, it, here's a strange dynamic with the group that I'm working with, uh, Move Rate 20 Games. I actually joined them with Mission to Planet Hex almost complete when one of their initial members dropped out. And so they inspired me to make it, to make the game. They were making games and they were a part of my local gaming store. And I said, oh, well, they're making games. I bet I could make a game. And then I sort of got very motivated, and and now when I joined, it's all about the the, the move rate twenty games is all about Mission to Planet Hex right now. And I thought well, I didn't see that, coming. <laughs> but it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Oops, life is strange. Just just I'm a, go along for the ride. But it wouldn't have happened because if I hadn't seen what they were doing and said, oh okay, well I think I could probably do that. Like you were saying, what what motivates me? I love the idea of I think one of my one of the crit critics of the game called it mid-century modern. The idea of the future that we had in the 50s and 60s is very much the mindset for this game. So like design-wise and that kind of thing, I'm thinking of the Jetsons and Forbidden Planet and the original Star Trek and that kind of thing. The idea of, you know, all the, all the flashy chrome and the bubble cities and that kind of thing. Epcot, the way that it was, not Epcot. Epcot, yeah, Epcot in Disney. Yep. Have you been on the, the, the World of the Future ride? Yep. I think they've probably changed it now. But the way that it was when it started. <laughs> What's the other ride they have? The People Mover? Oh, the uh, monorail. No, no, no. It's, it's the People Mover. I don't even know if it's still there. It, oh. it would take you through it. It's all this old-fashioned stuff. It's very Disney Tomorrowland also. That's another. I haven't been to Florida in 31 years. <laughs> we haven't been for a while. <laughs> I just remember the big like rainbow tunnel you walk through in Epcot Center, if I'm not mistaken. And then there was a dude with yeah. a red, red beard at the end. He was like a yes. an animatronic character. That's all. That's what I remember. I don't even know what you two are talking about, but. <laughs> <laughs> cool though <laughs> sounds like the future That's a youtube video <laughs> i guess yeah give me 10 minutes guys i'm gonna figure this out <laughs> so what is the most important thing you want people to remember about this game or take away from playing it um i would say this is a tough question i know no it's, it's a tough question i would say remember what made you play games when you first played games and it's probably just you played the games that you thought were fun. This is very fun. There's some strategy to it, but the focus is on fun. You know, I, I love when people will just be sitting, waiting for their turn, looking through the cards in their hand and chuckling, <laughs> you know, at either the image or whatever the heck it does. The, uh, you even, know, even chuckling about the strategy, too, right? Because some cards are just well, yes, like, like, oh, oh I can't wait to play this one. Terrible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't wait to see I, John's I face. Terrible to that play, other player, <laughs> but the card looks so sweet and nice. Um, it just just the idea that there's a place for everything. I think in the gaming world, you know, heavy duty strategy. Some people do not like to leave things to chance. They like to set them up so they can knock them down. This isn't that. This is a little bit of dice rolling nonsense. You know, the kind of game where there is some strategy. But you can have a conversation, have a good time. I think you don't feel bad if you get caught up in an intergalactic duel to the death because it's all so ridiculous. Just have a good time, you know? I'm hoping that people pull it out again and again just to have a silly time. Nice. So what's your greatest achievement while producing this game so far? 
<laughs> this is one of the easiest ones to answer because because it's obvious to me and you were there when you go to hang a out with us. I pretty much, pretty much Matt, hanging out with you especially. Yes. Um, well, but I heard a I heard a rumor listening to the podcast that well, you know, you love me and I love you, so that's I why do. I'm here. Yeah, you're the best. I did have a lot of fun, so I'm glad. I'm glad um, you said yes. Well, Pack South. Uh, I still, I still am full of admiration for you for just saying yes to coming to meet a complete stranger, John, and uh, just you know, hey, would you like to meet me in San Antonio and demo my game to people? And you just said, sure. I love that. Uh, that's another thing for new game uh, designers: spontaneity, dive in. But greatest achievement, Pack South, just because. When you go to a convention, you want to show your game to people desperately, and you want to show it to as many people as possible, and you want to seem like a big deal, and you want people to have fun. And you can achieve that at varying levels, depending upon where you are, what the crowd is like. But PAX South was, they just handed me an opportunity to make the most of it, which is why I think when I sent out my, my paperwork to you all, and I said, here's what I want to do, and here's a timeline, and, and all that. I realized the opportunity that it was. They gave me four tickets to show people, you know, to, to have people come and show people the game. So I made sure that those four seats were filled. Uh, it was, like I said, I keep using the term rock concert because we imagine I routinely show the game to 50 people if I'm lucky at a convention. Mm -hmm. And we were telling people after 20 minutes, thank you, but you have to go away because the line. We, we, you know, we have to, we have to, we have to let the other people play. We probably showed it to 400 to 500 people. It really started off my Kickstarter year with a bang. I just have nothing bad to say about it because the convention, the, the attendees were so sweet. I, I literally, this is something I want to thank you, Paxel. People who didn't know the game and didn't know me, I would teach a game on the left side of the table. I would then turn to teach it on the right side of the table and turn back, and the people who had played it finished and reset the game. <laughs> you know, they cleaned up after themselves. It was wonderful. I've had a wonderful time at many formative conventions. It was wonderful experiences, but that was just so crazy. And I'm glad I had it because I thought that the rest of the year was going to follow suit. And uh, after PAX East, things quickly went south. So treasure what you have while it's going on because you never know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it has been the high point of showing this game to new fans. and Yeah, that was like a super fun experience because like even for Matt and I to go and just being able to meet other game designers like the Runaway Parade from Fire Tower and I'm forgetting everyone's name now but, uh, <laughs> but like liberty who created cristallo and you know just be able yes. to sit and talk and have like really good in-depth conversations about the industry with people in the industry yes was, like super cool even though it wasn't like like pack south isn't a board game convention so like being able to like no. talk to people in the board game board game industry intimately like that it was really it was really nice so thanks for inviting us i appreciate we appreciate oh it. no problem and the thing I'll say is I keep hearing from people, it's not a board game convention. It's not a board game convention. And my response is, well, you could have fooled me because we had people at that table. Right. Five tables, morning, noon, and night. They, they, they started to chill out a little bit on Sunday, but not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like the board game part of that convention was bigger. It's kind of weird, even though it was supposedly like a video game, more of an indie video game convention. I feel like the board yes. games had way more attention to it 
just because yeah. of the fact that people are going there in crowds and they want something to do together and board yes. games are the thing you do together absolutely great for like you said a group of three people a group of four people also at a convention i feel like you see what you look for you know it's where you place your focus which is why you try to get people's attention if you are not what they were looking for when you when they came through the door but if they find you maybe they'll be looking for you next time or somebody like you. You, you can change people's minds. You just have to get their attention for five seconds. That's <laughs> true. Okay, so what was the biggest challenge of creating this game? And I guess to that note, do you regret anything? Uh, like I said before, I, I, think I, I think I regret the time that it took to realize that it was something that I could get rolling faster. I said it took me a while to wake up to the fact that people were enjoying playing it, so get it out there. I don't know if it's because of my own self-deprecating nature or I, I, I like a sure thing. You know, the schedule I had set up for my Kickstarter year this year was solid. I was going to see so many people at so many conventions mm -hmm. because I'm just, that's how I'm wired. So I think I would have trusted myself more. But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So what you're saying is this year has been a very big, like, adapting year when you, like, think about it. Because, like, even PAX South didn't go right exactly because we came in late. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, it, we, we did not start with uh, the sleep that I wanted with the with the organization and the formal meet and greet that I wanted. Right. It was it was <laughs> completely know? bananas. And then, and then the pandemic happened. And then it's hard, yes. obviously harder to get to. Or, you know, Origins was going to be a big event for you, for us, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing too, a lot of the times all this all this what's the word I'm looking for now? When it's when it's more difficult, people rise to the challenge admirably. And it's been a lot of difficulty this year unfortunately. Like I said, my friend Zach said you've got to put this on Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator and become an online thing because number one, you just should anyways. And number two, you have to adapt. We adapted to things not going our way and we were so, we hit the ground running, the, the two of you and me and Zach at PAX Health, the first day, the minute they opened, we were ready. I believe you uh, you said in one of your other podcasts that when you were there, you know, a couple games through, you had your routine down. You know, mm -hmm. the thing that was most important to me, too, is when we were there that we do other things and we see other things besides just to head down at the table. So hopefully that happened for you as well. Yeah, I would have just gotten the ball rolling. Like I said, that's my only regret. I'm very, very happy with the way that the game came out, especially when you think it's perfect when you first made it. <laughs> and then you think it's perfect six months later. And then you think it's definitely finished at the one year mark. Uh, and um, somebody brilliant will make a suggestion that will, you know, will bring you from the second step to the third step and the third step to the fourth step. It's a wonderful process to be a part of, but it must end at some point. <laughs> and it is July 29th this year. <laughs> the, end, the end of the beginning. <laughs> so has anything really been like a nightmare for you in this process? Or are you afraid of anything? I'm afraid of everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very deep question. Very, very deep question, John. <laughs> the uh, well, like I said, the nightmare in this process. Yeah, trying to get to pack south and land in San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> Your listeners are going to be so sick of hearing about PAX. Hey, <laughs> it's the only convention that happened this year. <laughs> well, I guess PAX well, East then, happened too, know. right? But <laughs> um, uh, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> so I said, has anything been like your worst nightmare about the process of making this game or are you afraid of anything? Uh, no, I think the, the stuff that I'm most worried about is coming. 
just because uh, you have to making the game first edition off of the game crafter i had total control it was very easy to know what was going to happen how to make things happen in a certain way i have to with the kickstarter trust a lot of people uh, that I haven't met, etc. You know, I'm talking to fulfillment offices in foreign countries, and it's going to be manufactured in a different country. And there's a pandemic going on. So, you know, there's a lot of worry associated to all of that. So that's what's keeping me up at night right now. I feel like ask me again in September or October. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll tell you how it went. We will. <laughs> but my, my, the, my rock through all of this is, like you said, networking with other people. They just sort of say, you know, well, we did it, so anyone can do it, so you can do it. So I'm going to trust in that. That's my mantra right now until the Kickstarter is over. Yeah, that's good. That's a very good way of looking at it, very positive. And I said I have three fears about the Kickstarter. I said, one, that it won't fund. I said, two, that it'll just fund and, you know, fun for what I asked for. And then three, I'm afraid that it'll go, you know, crazy. <laughs> and I won't. So, so, to tr- so to translate, you're afraid of it just doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> right just a... each, one, each one introduces a different challenge yeah. however i'm the king of making six backup plans so have no fear listeners the game will be produced no matter what happens awesome so as a, okay so we're gonna get into a little bit more of the of the convention stuff i know our, i know everyone listening to this is probably sick of hearing us talk about conventions but we're gonna talk a little we bit can more. pretend we're talking about a different convention go ahead <laughs> <laughs> well we are actually talking about different. we're gonna talk about a different convention we didn't go to all right. So, so as like a smaller game dev, how do you? F- I know you did say that you put up your game onto Tabletopia, and that was you know a, a way to adapt. Do you feel like the exposure's a lot less with all these conventions canceling? Like, do you feel like there's more? Definitely. Yeah. It's that's been the hardest thing about. I, I went through a curve. I, I did not want to put it on Tabletopia. I was like, I'm a live guy. I don't want to do this online. And like I said, my friend said, don't be foolish. Do it online. You know, because you want to take the opportunities as they present themselves. But the thing about a live convention, not only is that sort of where I thrive, you know, the theatrical me, but when you're at a live convention, you have several levels of advertising, for lack of a better term. When you're playing, and I'm sure you saw this at PAX South, when you're playing, you're engaging the people who are playing. You have those people who walk up to the table who just want to take a card and they don't want you to talk to them. You know, so those people are not online. The people walking by seeing my banner and grabbing a sticker or a card are not online. You know, even if, for example, I feel like any convention I went to with my six foot banner that's bright acid green and blue. (laughs) Which I've seen it. Very nice. (laughs) <laughs> there you go, <laughs> and it and it's and it's really a task to try and get that on a plane. But they walk by and they've seen the image, even if they did not engage at all in the tabletop area. That's not happening online. So I know that I'm probably engaging just the people I'm playing with online. So that's hard, you know. I'll I'll be lucky. For example, I just. I found out about the virtual gaming con, which is Board Game Geek and Dice Tower together, this weekend. Uh, it's Wednesday through Sunday. I found out about that last weekend, signed up, and they let me in, and God bless nice. them. But I've got 10 sessions, maximum four players each, so I can reach maximum 40 people, and that's if every seat is filled. And that's good, but it's not as good as you're going to do if you're live. I, I think the cancellation of these conventions, like it, it doesn't just, like it just sucks for the smaller developers because you're right, you don't get that exposure, and it actually helps the bigger developers. Because the bigger developers, they're going to get exposure no matter what, right? 
whereas whereas yourself you're, you're only one person you might have someone else demoing so like you said 40 people you might you could get a potentially 80 if you had one other person but that's nowhere near what you had at PAX South, and that wasn't even a board game convention. And, and I mean, I've been going to conventions long enough, too, where I, I know what I can expect from a particular convention. You know, I'm, I'm in Massachusetts, so PAX East is a regular thing. There are various other conventions, too, where I say, well, I'm going to get as many, or maybe I'll get so many, this many more. But I don't know on, online is, uh, you know, the, the undiscovered country. I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen. It's been great, though, because, as I was telling you before the show, it's fewer people, but my reason is further. I'm considering UK conventions and Australian conventions because everybody's online. So I have already spoken to and played games with people from South Africa and Brazil. And I know there's interest in Germany and in the UK. I actually sent a, a copy, uh, one of the prototypes to the UK this afternoon. Uh, so you're trying to keep up the things that you can keep up. I, I'm getting past the disappointment of it's not going to be live because it's not going to be live. You know, before my Kickstarter, I'm not going to go to any live conventions. So then what do you do? You embrace, you know, the opportunities that come up. And the online conventions are getting good. After, you know, after doing three or four, people are figuring out how to do them. So, and the people who are going know what to expect. So they don't spend all this time trying to figure it out. They just go, oh, okay, I go to the room and I launch and I talk and I go into Tabletopia or whatever and, and we're playing. We don't have to mess around. So it's, I'm coming out of that negative mindset into a more positive mindset because uh, I guess it's comfortable and it's working. I mean, like we play, we played it on Tabletopia, Matt and I. We did. You were one of the first people. <laughs> I know. It was great. Actually, it was really fun. It was very easy to do and easy to play. You could quote me on this. It was actually easier to play than a lot of other games I played on Tabletopia. There oh, good. My regret is a lot of people are seeing that beautiful Starfield board, which is not part of the live game. <laughs> Everyone says, ooh, when they get into the room, I said, yeah, you don't get that in the box. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, that's... um. What are those? Like the playmats? Yeah. Yeah, can... add-on playmat, tablecloth, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you just send a tablecloth with them. <laughs> NASA on one side, stars on the other. Like, just don't buy the somebody, NASA. Somebody online, Party City, who makes a tablecloth with hex pattern on it. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm sure you can get it done. <laughs> now, how do you make one that's big enough for 120 cards? Mm. <laughs> uh, it's funny because... Uh, uh, had people asking me why I went to the trouble of making the board, and I, it's because the the hexes have magnetic points in them, so that the cards will fall into the hexes. We spent about ten minutes saying, "Oh, this will be fine if you just manually place the hexes." No, it you it is not possible to have that kind of precision by hand on Tabletopia. Right. So once I figured again, a learning curve. Once I figured out how to make magnetic game boards. We were good to go. But there are a lot of flaws in the online version, too, so I don't think it's better. There are things that I haven't figured out how to do. How do you look at somebody's hand without other people seeing it, that kind of thing, uh, and randomly choosing cards from another player's hand. We've been dealing with that with dice, etc. But every time I play with somebody, I said, well, and here's one of the drawbacks, which is why you need a physical copy. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever right. gets you through. You're right. <laughs> I think a lot of games don't actually deal with that, <laughs> like, come to think about it, so, yeah. which is the flaw of Tabletopia in general. But. Well, there's a little element of everything in the kitchen sink in this, too, you know. Right, yeah. when, I, when I sign up for something, a convention, and they say, is it a card game or a board game? 
or a map building game or a dice rolling game. And I'm like, yes, why can I only check off one of these? It's It's all the way. Where's the the chaos check too? There's chaos in it. (laughs) Well, people will look at it and say, well, how can it be all of these things and be any good? I'm like, well, I can only play it with you and you can only make up your own mind. It's funny in designing, designing the expansion that I'm designing, uh, you were talking about chaos. There are cards in there for the chaos player. And I have to remind myself to include more cards for each of those types of players when I'm making more cards. I have I have another one that I'm particularly happy about, and I hope you get to see it. <laughs> nice. It's called the Cosmic Crisis. And it, the, it involves everybody. And like I said, turning the game on its head right when you think you've got a plan. That's my favorite. I don't know. I like, the, I like those types of mechanics in the game where it's just like, oh, you're playing a game? Nope. <laughs> you're doing playing this game I'm now guys here to cause trouble yeah. <laughs> i've had players sit down and say that to my face no i just want to try to break your game and mess things up that's oh, matt that's me that's matt <laughs> there you go <laughs> I don't, I don't, like I, except except i don't do it on purpose it just happens <laughs> it's just instinct exactly. you're like my friend sees all the flaws when he watches a movie <laughs> That sounds. Oh, does he do that too? Uh, uh, <laughs> <No>. I do. <laughs> yeah. That's me. Yeah, ask my wife. I don't think I've watched <laughs> a movie with you in like 20 years. I also like talking in the middle of it too, which isn't good either. It's like, Matt, we're trying to watch this movie here. And I'm like, well, I, I see flaws. <laughs> it's actually that. <laughs> uh, I think we're separated at birth now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So is there anything else you're adding? You, know, you, you mentioned that there's an expansion. Do you have like stretch goals in mind? Uh, well, I was going to say you'll get a stretch goal exclusive since nobody has seen the page yet. I There are some convention promo cards that will be a stretch goal. Anybody who is a fan of the first edition knows that they're out there and they exist. Provided we get to a certain point in the funding, they will appear in the set as well. Uh, they're cards that were removed from the main set for particular reasons. They were wordy or duplicated something. But it turns out with a few tweaks and upon playtesting, they're pretty cool and people like them too. So it'll be a slightly larger set. And then right now we have, you know, quality upgrades, which I think is par for the course. Nothing too crazy, but you've also seen another one of them. And that is we have an army of plush manatees, space manatees. Yes. Thank you, Zach. Yes. Uh, large and small. He, he's had to get some work done because the illust- the uh, model for the uh, original manatee was based on the old art. And the new art is slightly different. So I got a huffy look from Zach, uh, who had to take it back and doctor it. It needs to have antenna now and various other uh, appendages added. But it's totally going to be worth it. That's nice. cool. there's, a, there's also a discount on the first day for the first 50 uh, people who... Uh, back so you can get it for steel nice. so we'll see how it goes <laughs> and then if anything else i think of i have some ideas but uh, i'm taking it slow right now because i'm doing the business and all that at the same time but stay tuned is there any other projects we might get excited about well Maybe. you heard me talking about it every good space epic is a trilogy ah. uh, so that's i'll lead with that like i said the the art is 99 percent complete for the first expansion which is an add-on called beyond mission to planet hex and i'll also let you in on the secret if anybody wants to see it the play zone on tabletopia is ready for the expansion uh, all the 193 cards are in there tokens boosters all play cards hybrid cards Mega mission files are not there yet, but they will be soon. The goal of the first expansion is go big. 
So its purpose is to have four to six players, and the idea is the all the cards in the expansion are designed to keep players engaged, especially when it's not their turn. Awesome. Because awesome. everybody hates waiting. So every idea I could think of to move the game along is incorporated into this expansion. But it's an early playtesting stage. I did create an expansion called Beyond for first edition, but this has been changed much more. The first and second edition for the base game, I've moved cards around, I've cards in. There are characters talked about in the first in the base game that will appear in the expansion. So I'm excited about that. Wow, too. that's very that's sci-fi of you. That's the most sci-fi thing <laughs> I ever heard of, right? The, the <laughs> big boss snooker has relatives. <laughs> All hilarious. the snookers will be there. The Empress of the Galaxy will appear. There are and some cool cards. I mean, if you want to be mean to your opponents, this is the set. And then the third set, which is a twinkle in my eye, but it's fully formed, is called Frontiers. And it it was designed based on watching middle schoolers play because they are so vicious to each other and they want to be more vicious. So it is a game that makes the it is a standalone expansion that makes the game harder it's harder to play it's meaner you can steal data from people you can dogfight them in space it's pirate themed slightly militarily themed it's on the edge of space where anything can happen and there are new concepts involved in that one too one of my favorite cards in that i'll tell you about it's called half-eaten space outpost and the picture is an asteroid with the outpost on it and there's just a huge bite a third of the asteroid and <laughs> and the outpost is missing and it's just <laughs> teeth marks and little pieces floating away <laughs> But like I said, that's out there. It introduces concepts. There's something called a dwarf planet and outposting, which is a, a variant of uploading. It fiddles with the cost and where you can upload in space. She sounds like so interesting. This sounds, you're like, I just want to play right now, actually. <laughs> oh, well, I'll have to upload all this too. The, the last thing I'll say, if I didn't say it before, is the whole thing is customizable. All these sets mixed together, you can, you can add them in. You can replace cards with other cards. I think as long as you maintain the card ratio in the game you know like don't add five planets and nothing else because then your deck will be planet heavy yeah you know if you if you add one in take one out you know how it works but it's meant to be that way you know there's a lot of basic things in the base game that maybe you're bored by a space or a planet that does nothing well replace it with something that's cool there's a las vegas space station in the expansion called space station <laughs> vega and it is literally uh, slot machine you turn over <laughs> cards and you get a bonus if they match that's awesome I, and and one of my play testers was addicted to playing with it i said he was a college age uh boy i said i think you might have a problem <laughs> <laughs> just saying that you, you could use it as a litmus <laughs> test for uh, gambling addictions <laughs> <laughs> no that's really oh i'm i'm super excited for all this and for thank you for all the information too we do honestly appreciate that i found that firming up the base game and making it as as, as good a game as possible, it makes it easy to understand the rules of your world that you created and add to it. You know, designing an expansion is so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. You do whatever you, you want, right? Rules. Yeah. You already know some of the things you can do and some of the things you can't do. Right. You know, you want to push it as far as you can without breaking it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jim, for, for taking time to speak with us. We appreciate it. Thank and you so much. Best of luck on July 29th when your Kickstarter launches. Thank you. Yeah, Mission to Plan Hex. We're looking really forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Like like I said, I missed not seeing you at Origins yeah. in person. So this is the next best thing. We will see you again for sure in the future. And I'll be able to make my way around your basement because I've seen the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs>
Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. So thank you all for listening. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or hit that follow button on your favorite streaming platform. Is there a game you'd like for us to check out and talk about? Or have you created a game and you want us to preview it? Let us know by emailing us at info at fridaynight.games. And check back every Friday for our next episode. And remember, it's Friday night. Let's have some fun.